Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Mart. Today we're looking at self-help for people whose emotionally draining activities and professions expose them to stress and burnout. That might cover the gamut from first responders to social activists. Joining me in studio to talk about the problem and how to deal with it are Catherine Stinson, a licensed professional counselor. Allison Thompson is with the 4A Project, an organization dedicated to fostering self-help for people dealing with emotional stress and resulting burnout. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here. Good to have you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This is a subject we're just learning at a poll that we're taking that affects almost everybody sooner or later, and yet you both agree with that, that that's something we have to deal with. Catherine, let me start with you. Perhaps we ought to define burnout before we get started. What is it? Absolutely. Burnout is a state of chronic exhaustion that comes from being under too much stress for too long a period of time. It can result in anything from poor sleep to poor concentration, just a general lack of energy and motivation, and a general feeling of negativity or cynicism. Allison, what is, has been your exposure to it with 4A? Um, we sort of uh, initially experienced it in the context of um, activism um, around the um, Stockley verdict um, that happened about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Last year, the protests that were happening in the city and um, a lot of um, actions were happening in very <clears throat> high stress, um, sometimes traumatizing situations and the need to um, also organize um, healing spaces Um and just reminding people to stop, to rest. But you've expanded beyond beyond that particular mm-hmm. niche. Yeah. Right? So yeah. we've um, we've had people come in that are teachers and social workers, and kind of just generally existing in America right now. I think um, the conversations that we're having in public, having in um, public spheres, and um, on an interpersonal level. Um, can be really draining for people. Catherine, who might be most susceptible to it? <clears throat> well, I think um, Allison brings up a good point that we're all susceptible to it on some level, but I think people who are in undervalued and underpaid jobs in particular, people who are dealing with highly emotional and highly charged situations, and people who are putting themselves at physical risk on a daily basis. So it's emotional exhaustion and I, I guess I don't know where to take it from there beyond emotional exhaustion. It's just working too hard at something that is stressful. Is that a way to put it? Essentially. I think it also – there's an element of just having internalized a lot of expectations that are unrealistic. Um, so, for example, teachers. I think teachers are at really high risk for burnout. And we're really expecting a lot of teachers these days. Um, we're expecting them to do less and less, or sorry, to do more and more with less and less resources. Mm-hmm. And with the school shootings that are happening, we're expecting them to essentially put themselves in harm's way in some cases to take care of kids. Mm-hmm. Allison, how does it present itself? Um, how does burnout present yeah. itself? Yeah, in terms of uh, mm-hmm. how do you know you have it and what does it look like when you have it and wh- when uh, other people have it? Yeah, I think um, what I have um, seen in the people that have um, come to 4A events is um, a reduced capacity to really show up fully in their lives. Um, A lot of um, social anxiety can present itself um, very, um, uh, like, high depressive states um, and just low energy to be able to have social um, interactions, a sense of hopelessness um, that can come about. We have, uh, I indicated that uh, we had done a little poll. We Mm -hmm. just started it before we went on the air. And I'll give you the uh, results of it and see what your reaction to it is. 
Uh, we've in, in about 20 or 30 minutes, we've had 41 responses. 83% of the respondents say they absolutely have uh, experienced mm-hmm. burnout. 15% say, I did experience it, so I left that job. 2% uh, so far say, no, I never had to deal with it. Everyone knows exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. What about, uh, Catherine, this idea of leaving the job that you have that is causing this problem? Is that uh, a, a recommended step? Well, it really depends on the situation. In some cases, unfortunately, there's really no other recourse. But um, the option to do that is also really tied to privilege. Not everybody has the opportunity to leave their job. So I think um, I think we have to be having conversations about how to take care of people as a society and as a culture. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to have conversations about how to take care of ourselves as individuals when we're doing high-stress work. Well, um, let's have part of that conversation right now. Uh, If we are experiencing it, what can we do to uh, help ourselves? Absolutely. Um, Well, I I, want to say that in some sense, it's a, it's a, a constant process. There's no one set of tools that works for every person at every time. But I think we have to be willing to reevaluate how much time we're spending on our jobs and how much energy we're putting into those jobs. I think in some cases, we have to push back against unrealistic expectations about hours and about expectations in general of performance on the job. Um, I think some of it just comes uh, comes down to finding support either in our personal lives or our professional lives and speaking up when things aren't going well. I think it's a problem for a lot of us that we really internalize this sort of perfectionism. You know, we live in a culture of never enough, never enough productivity, never enough money, never enough accomplishment. And that's just not realistic. We have to find a personal sense of what is enough and stop there. Allison, you were talking about safe spaces before. What what, what do you mean by that? Well, I think um, a, a huge thing for um, for us right now is to focus on um, connection and connecting around um, common identities or experiences to basically have a space to breathe, to exhale, to feel um, safe, to be yourself, um, and to um, speak about your experience. And so those people don't have to align with you or be like you in every way. Um, but to just kind of have a time away from sort of um, a lot of the the discord and disagreement and um, uh, I think a lack of safety that people feel in some of the spaces they exist in, um, whether that's on social media or in the workplace, um, to to be able to be offered a place where they can um, more fully be themselves. Interaction, I guess, has mm-hmm. to be a big part of this. Uh, yeah, definitely. Working uh, w- with others. Yeah, and I think just to be affirmed in their experience, to hear that um, they're not alone. A lot of times, people um, ex- who experience burnout um, can also um, be in, I- in isolation, and it's really important to be connected to community, um, to have that accountability around their care, Mm -hmm. um, and to be connected to resources in which they can care for themselves. Can it be dangerous, Catherine? Can burnout be dangerous? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that um, I talked about, kind of a sense of, of cynicism and negativity. So if you're in a job where you're putting yourself on the line in a physical way every day, say a firefighter, for Mm -hmm. example, or in some cases, healthcare workers, you're absolutely at higher risk for poor concentration. You could make a mistake, and in some cases that could be incredibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. Are there things you can do if you're in one of these higher – let's say a first responder just to take that or, or an activist who's active mm-hmm. in, in protests. 
Are there things you can do along the way to prevent this from happening? To prevent burnout from yeah. happening. Yeah, I mean, knowing yeah. that this is the potentially this could happen to me because I have a high stress job. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the most important things you could do is educate yourself about it, understand what the signs are. I think burnout doesn't happen all at once; it's a gradual process. And I think you have to also just be willing to to constantly reevaluate the balance of of work and the rest of your life. You have to have an identity for yourself outside of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to be willing to to look at that on a regular basis and ask yourself if it's still working or if maybe you need to think about a longer-term plan that, that uh, has a little bit different balance to it. How debilitating, Allison, can it be? Um, I, I think it can be really debilitating, um, and it really keeps – again, it can keep people in isolation, affect their mental health, um, their physical health. It can present itself um, – in the body and um, just really reduced um, ability to, um, I think, to be effective in our work, to be effective in our social relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it can, um, I I think in, in activist spaces, we've seen people really take a long time to recover, to not be able to return to the work that they're doing because um they have been so um, debilitated um, by that. And I think it's really important to um, have that care along the way so that people can um, live sustainable lives and, um, and engage in sustainable, effective work. And, and Catherine, with, uh, with this comes depression. I think we've established that certainly can come with it. And that can be uh, devastating. Absolutely. Depression, anxiety. Allison mentioned social anxiety. Mm -hmm. That can be a huge part of it, yeah. Yeah. Well, what can we do about it? Uh, We've we've talked about safe spaces, but I mean, what else can we do? Interacting with people is good, but Mm -hmm. if you get to that point where it's really debilitating, what then? Mm -hmm. Um, I think um, an important thing, um, if you're not able to to come out to events or to public spaces, I think really just to reach out and ask for help. And I think that that's a really scary p- thing for people to do, and people aren't always aware of the needs that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really important to um, to get to that place where you can ask for help if you're not able to care for yourself, to, um, to help yourself, um, and to be connected to resources of care for yourself. And, Catherine, that requires a certain degree of self-diagnosis and self-awareness, and I'm not sure that all of us uh, are really equipped to be able to do that. Absolutely, and especially if we're isolated. We may not, you know, if, if we have friends and family and people who are caring for us around us, they may tell us that something is wrong and that and that we need to be looking at it. But if we're in isolation, we may not realize. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is possible not to know that you're suffering from Mm -hmm. this particular problem. Absolutely, it's possible, yeah. Right. Well, I want to come back and get some examples of some of the things you've seen and heard in in both of your jobs. We'll do that in just a moment. We're talking about burnout and the fact that so many people suffer from it to one degree or another. And we'd like to have some input from you and the listening audience. Uh, What do you know about burnout? Have you experienced it? Uh, If so, we'd like to hear from you and find out uh, exactly how you dealt with it. Give us a call at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org. Or if you would prefer to send a tweet, do so at STL on air. Back to continue this conversation in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.
Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within reach. Now back to our conversation with Catherine Stinson, a licensed professional counselor, and Allison Thompson, who was with the 4A Project. Okay, let's find out uh, a little bit more about what people come to you and say. I'll start again with you, Catherine. Uh, give me some sense of, of, of what you're dealing with and what those <clears throat> folks who come to you for advice are telling you. Absolutely. Um, so I, I think Allison mentioned a, a few minutes ago that sometimes burnout can show up in the body. So I see people sometimes who are just, again, chronically exhausted and sometimes sick. Sometimes their immune system isn't functioning the way that it should be. I see people who are sometimes wearing that exhaustion as a badge of honor or have been doing that for a very long period mm -hmm. of time and are feeling like they can no longer measure up. Well, and when they come to you and give you these list of symptoms, what do you tell them to do? The first thing I tell almost everyone to do is to prioritize sleep. I think that's mm -hmm. very often the first thing that goes out the window, mm -hmm. and that spells disaster for the rest of your life. So we really talk about sleep. We really talk about what they're doing to take care of themselves. And we really look at how they're talking to themselves and what they're expecting themselves to do. I'm always amazed at how many people get to this state and then just tell themselves to just <coughs> basically suck it up even though we'd never talk to a good friend that way. That's mm -hmm. often how we talk to ourselves. So we really look at that and try to find a gentler way of approaching the problem. Right. And, and what that gentler way might be? Yeah, the gentler way might be um, thinking about what you would tell a friend mm -hmm. in the same situation and really, really imagining that and thinking through that. And then maybe asking, why are you not treating yourself as your own friend? Why are you talking to yourself more harshly? Why are you expecting more of yourself than you would of anybody else in your life? Mm -hmm. Allison, how about you? Give me some examples of, uh, of what you've been dealing with and had, had to deal with. Yeah, I think um, in, uh, in addition to the, the symptoms that we've been talking about, I think it's really interesting to have conversations about care. Um, I think self-care is sort of a buzzword right now. And um, some people feel um, that it is a, a, a privilege to engage in self-care. It feels inaccessible to a lot of people. And um, so I think what, we, what we're what we trying to do with the project is to um, show people a myriad of ways that they can care for themselves um, so that it can seem accessible to them again so that they feel like they are um, allowed to um, or able to take care. And then there are other people who feel as if it is not accessible to them because they don't feel like they have um, done enough, that they are not burnt out enough. And so there's a lot of conversations about the difference between preventative um, caring for yourself and reactionary care. And so we really want to steer people towards this um, integration of care in their lives. Aside from more sleep, what are mm -hmm. some of the easiest uh, elements of, of <clears throat> self-help? Um, I think um, it can present itself in different ways, whether that's writing and journaling through mm. what you're experiencing. We really want people to get in touch with what am I experiencing in my body and where is that coming from? So I, I think a lot of people find writing or um, some sort of art 
um, whether that's making something with their hands or um, singing or some sort of music. Um, also body work like yoga um, is a really um, common practice for people, meditation, um, just learning to sit with themselves even. Mm. So. How, how about you, Catherine? Would you add, uh, add to that? Absolutely. The easiest forms of self-help? Yeah, I really agree with what Allison said. Um, I think Sometimes it's as simple as letting people know, hey, you need to eat every day Mm -hmm. and you need to eat reasonably healthy food every day. Not everybody does that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes just as much as we skip sleep, we skip meals. Um, sometimes it's just about, you know, getting getting some sort of health care that you know, getting something taken care of that you know you've been needing to do for a while and just haven't really prioritized. Um, getting some form of exercise, yoga is great. Sometimes even just walking, um, getting out in nature a little bit is really helpful. Yeah. Is this uh, high enough up on the health care ladder that insurance would cover some kind of treatment or some of the some of the things that we have talked about? That's a great question. Um, burnout is not a clinical diagnosis. Yeah. And most of the time you have to have some sort of clinical diagnosis to get insurance to cover stuff. So that's a bit of a problem for some people because then if you, you know, if so Allison said, you know, sometimes people don't feel they're burned out enough. Mm-hmm. So if my symptoms don't reach the level of clinical depression, maybe care is not available to me. Mm-hmm. How long does it take to get over it once you start helping yourself? Or is that just... Depend. Yeah, it, it depends on the person, yeah. um, the environment that they're in, the relationships they're connected to, <clears throat> what's already been happening in there, what they're sort of coming into um, in their life experience as well, yeah. and and how how well they're they're practicing that care. It's complicated, obviously, mm-hmm. and very individual. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not a one size fits all in any by any stretch of the imagination, is, is it? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Let's take a call. Karen is joining us from St. Louis. She has a question or comment. Let's see what she has to say. Go ahead, Karen. You're on the air. Thank you. Um, I appreciate this conversation so much. It's so important. I've experienced burnout. I've watched others experience burnout. One thing I'm doing for myself is getting more sleep. But I really want people to hear that um, sustainability, especially for activists and people who work in social service agencies is so important. In the nonprofit world, rank and staff, rank and file um, staff members don't make very much money. And that's just been accepted as the norm. So you have people who are serving others who can't take care of themselves. Yoga is wonderful, but it's not affordable for, for most people, most working people. It wasn't for me, wasn't for the friends that I work with. We investigated it. We couldn't afford it. So I think the general society has to switch that paradigm of if you work for a nonprofit and you serve others, that you're also going to be a charity case and die in poverty and because you're doing it for the community. We need livable wages. And we need to be able to take vacations just like other people. So if you work in an industry or you're making the kind of money that you have some disposable income to share with people in service agencies, don't give them a pamper basket. Write them a check for $100. Bless them with $1,000 for Christmas. Send money. That's what we need. Karen, we need thank, money. thank you so much for the call. You. You, both of you ladies are nodding mm-hmm. <laughs> very much in affirmation. Yes. Yeah. That, uh, it's, it, it's like so many things, money. Uh, can certainly help in, in so many areas. Do you want to comment on what you yeah, had to say? Yeah, um, I, I think I, I really appreciate what Karen said, and, and that's 
a big reason why we started the 4A project. It's a it's a series of um, of free dinners in which we bring in um, healers and wellness practitioners to offer these services that are inaccessible to a lot of folks because of of finances and. Um, we realized that we needed to create new economies of care. Um, a lot of people feel disconnected from the healthcare system. Um, they feel, again, like they don't have access to a lot of um, common forms of care. And also just reminding people to, to come together and to eat. I think it's a healing practice just to be in community and to, to eat with one another. Treatment in, in many ways is very, very simple, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Catherine, do you want to respond to uh, to Karen's call? Yeah, I really appreciate what Karen had to say. And I think that's a great example. The nonprofit community is a great example of work that is just drastically undervalued and so, so important. We're basically placing all the responsibility for solving these problems that nonprofits are trying to solve on the people who work there. And then many of them are, are getting paid ridiculously low wages mm-hmm. for that. Um, I think we really have to broaden the conversation about self-care and make it, to some extent, a societal responsibility. You know, things like um, collective bargaining is a form of self-care. Getting together with a professional organization and really trying to raise awareness and raise the profile of the work that you do is an important form of self-care. We have another call. Tiffany is going to join us from Chesterfield. Tiffany, thanks for being with us. You're on the air. Hi. Thank you for having me on. Um, I guess I wanted to talk about um, how burnout has affected me. I I know I was working for several years in a burnt out situation where I was exhausted every single day. Um, It was extremely hard to get up out of bed, but I had to do it because I had to get to work. I had to get my kids up and get them to school and I had to make money for our household. So um, I felt like I had to do all these things in order to, I had to keep pressing. I had to keep pushing myself. Um, I'm one of the lucky ones where I finally got to a point where um, I was able to leave my job, um, but it wasn't easy. It, financially, it's still a little difficult, but um, I really think we need to do something about our society where we recognize that we cannot keep going 24 hours a day. We cannot keep the schedules that we have, mm-hmm. and something has to change. Uh, Tiffany, thanks so much for the call. Uh, Catherine, obviously you're, you're agreeing with her. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I spoke a little bit before about that sense of never enough, yeah. and um, and we're really living in that every day, that, right. that sense that there's just never, again, you're never productive enough, you're never accomplishing enough, um, and I agree, it has to be renegotiated. And, and Allison, she takes us back too to the economic factor there. Yeah. That is so very important. Very yeah, I important. think that we don't we don't think about <clears throat> how um, how money how a lack of money affects our our mental health or physical health. Um, and and I think also she was kind of talking about time as well, and just to be reminded to take the time to to take care of ourselves, or we don't feel like we have have the time. We have some emails and tweets here that I'll read and get your reaction to them. Edith writes, I'm a rookie social worker therapist, but already I have noticed early onset symptoms of burnout, such as irritability, compassion fatigue. I found that movement, such as my weekly exercise classes and having a self-care buddy has helped reduce these symptoms. That's pretty much along the lines of what you guys are are recommending and and typical, I assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Michael uh, says, I uh, just sent this email. He asks, can someone who has lost functionality due to severe depression, burnout, apply for disability? What happens if someone can no longer work and for whom sick leave is not an option? Well, there is a, an interesting question. Any thoughts about that? Yeah. Um, again, it goes back to what that clinical diagnosis is, but absolutely someone who has suffered from severe depression can apply for um, family medical leave, can apply for disability. Um, it's a high bar, though, that you have to that you have to meet to to get disability for that reason. Any thoughts, Allison, on that, or shall we move on? Yeah, I'm not. Sh- uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not okay. familiar. I wanted to ask you a question. Our time is winding down, but I was cu- sort of curious about this idea of burnout being an issue for activists. Mm-hmm. I mean, activism is is a voluntary thing. You can you can do it or not do it, or do it one day and not do it for another week. Um, why is the burnout um, an issue for activists? Um, I think um, that is definitely a, a conversation around who, um, yeah, how are we defining activism? I think a lot of people don't don't get to take a break from activism. It's a part of their everyday <clears throat> lived experience, and depending on sort of the compounding um, intersections of, of oppression that a person is experiencing, um, there's sort of a disproportionate outcome that happens. Um, but I think um, that definitely um, burnout presents itself because um, we aren't um, organizing enough around these sort of healing spaces. Um, and it's a lot of, um, I need to keep doing the work. We we don't have time to, to stop. But realizing that um, showing up in community and caring for yeah. ourselves is actually a form of activism as well. And of that, kind of pushing back against this, what we've been talking about of this society that really um, overschedules us and undercompensates us. They're driven to do what they do, so it's uh, very difficult to stop. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it feels like a form <clears throat> of, of, of survival to, to fight for ourselves, for our yeah. lives, our well-being. Thoughts on that, uh, Catherine? You were yeah. nodding. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, so I, in my practice, I see a lot of gender nonconforming people. And a lot of times activism for that community is very much about survival. Um, it's not really a choice. If you're going to, to be visibly different, you do have to advocate for yourself on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You don't get to take a break. Right. I'll, I'll just read one more email here to wrap it up because I think it tells the story. Uh, John writes, after 30-plus years as a paid firefighter, I've learned to limit my work exposure when I'm off. I turn off the phone apps that I use while I'm on duty to alert me to responses. I limit my social media exposure to only a few coworkers, and I try very hard to not think about work when I'm at home. Now, there's a guy who's taking care of himself there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a pro. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. and I think that that's really huge to not to maybe even turn off all of the notifications, to, to choose when you want to engage with the news, with the information, um, and not sort of have it coming at you constantly. Yeah, we all should take a break from that mm-hmm. uh, periodically. Yeah, I think definitely. we're bombarded with too much of that mm-hmm. stuff. Well, yeah. I want to thank you both very much for being with us and talking about this issue. I had no idea that it was as, as uh, much of an issue as it apparently is. Many, many people confronting it. So thank you very much, Catherine Stinson, for being with us and Allison Thompson. Thank you.